Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We are currently in chapter 11 at verse 29. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I am glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we, in verse 29 of chapter 11 of the book of Daniel. This is what it says. At the appointed time he will return and come into the south, but this last time it will not turn out the way it did before. For ships of Katim will come against him, therefore he will be disheartened and will return and become enraged at the holy covenant and take action. So he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. By smooth words he will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. Yet they will fall by sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder for many days. Now when they fall, they will be granted a little help, and many will join with them in hypocrisy. Some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. So we find ourselves in this episode, in the uh, last section of uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 11, that is. And um, this last entire section is considered to be perhaps two main paragraphs uh, connected under one title, and I have uh, used the title of The Abomination of Desolation, and it comes out of that uh, very first paragraph which we read just now. Uh, we're going to uh, get into the, um, the other paragraphs to come and finish up chapter 11 in this episode in the second half of the episode. So uh, we'll start reading uh, after the musical break in verse 36 and catch up to that. But in the meantime, let's look at this more closely because I have broken this into two uh, main uh, sections. Uh, the, the one section is called the abomination of desolation, and that is verses 29 all the way through to the end of the chapter. But then there are these two other sections that I've divided that into, and that is uh, the preview of things to come, you might say, verses 29 through 35, and then the main event, which is 36 through 45. And so that's the reason why I've broken up the uh, reading and the uh, uh, this section of the uh, chapter 11 into this kind of division in order to gain an insight into uh, what we're talking about. And uh, that means that when uh, Daniel's angel uh, that is uh, giving him this revelation of uh, that really began very much earlier, not only in chapter 9, but in chapter 11 especially, and um, and that means that 
that he is giving him this insight into the future kingdoms, the Gentile kingdoms that will surround Israel, that will that will be over Israel and over the promised land. They will be occupying forces uh, after the Persians uh, drop off the map, uh, so to speak. Uh, that is the uh, Medo-Persian Empire, and then the uh, Greek Empire will come. And, and so the angel spends a lot of time uh, explaining in advance what to anticipate from the Greek Empire in particular. And why is that? It is because uh, uh, this is going to be very, very key in order to understand the all of chapter 11 and uh, get to this particular paragraph about this one who reigns uh, in one of the divisions of the Greek Empire who completely desecrates the temple. This isn't just dismantling the temple. This this is not just uh, carrying away the articles out of the holy place or the holy of holies, uh, but uh, rather this is... uh, this is a not just destruction. This is a desecration, and uh, that's what's very important. Why is it important? Because if we don't understand what this fellow did uh, in the Greek Empire, uh, then we will never understand what has to be happening in the Roman Empire many, many years to come, and that's why this is important. One is a picture or a foretaste of what will happen later, and so it's almost as if the angel wants to uh, take this excursion into the Greek empire until he gets to this particular personage and what this person does to to desecrate the temple, and that will be a preview. It's sort of like watching a movie trailer. Uh, You don't know exactly how the movie is going to play out, but you know what the contents of the trailer is because it's giving you a preview of something to take place later. Well, that's sort of what God is doing in real-time history, and now he's doing it uh, with Daniel in prophetic uh, words in advance of the history so that when the history begins to play out, the words are validated, and especially with the Greek empire, uh, it will be validated through this person. And uh, this person has a name, of course. We've figured that out. But in order to to catch up with the prophecy, you see, this is the same person, verses 29 through 35, that we find earlier in chapter 8. This is the the small horn that came out of the four horns of the uh, the shaggy goat, and the shaggy goat was Greece, and and so uh, this small horn comes as a uh, out out of uh, one of the four divisions of the Greek Greek Empire, and we've really uh, covered that in the early parts of chapter eleven and the earlier episodes in order to bring the narrative up to this point, and this is the point that all the rest of the narrative is there for, so that we can come to this uh, insight about this Greek ruler. Actually, technically, he was uh, a Syrian ruler, but one of uh, the four that uh, took over the uh, Greek empire uh, after Napoleon died. And so, this is the fellow we have already identified as an 
uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, that is uh, Antiochus IV. Uh, that's the way some people pronounce that name. Uh, I'm more accustomed to using uh, the pronunciation of uh, uh, Antiochus IV, uh, uh, Epiphanes. And so uh, this character has already been told uh, earlier in chapter 8. He's the small horn. It already uh, said in chapter 8 he's going to, to go into the beautiful land, it says in chapter 8 and verse 9. It says that he will he will uh, he will have the com- uh, he will go against the uh, commander of the host of God himself, and he will remove the regular sacrifice in in verse eleven of chapter eight. And he and the place of his sanctuary will be thrown down. That means he will be the sanctuary will be replaced with something else other than the ark of the covenant, and that's what we find here. It says also in chapter eight. In verse 12, that uh, this fellow will fling truth to the ground. And so this is the same guy. He's also described earlier in chapter 8, verses 23 through 25. It says, in the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise insolent and skilled in intrigue. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. He will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and holy people. And through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence, and he will magnify himself in his heart, and he will destroy many by uh, while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of peace, princes, but he will be broken without human agency. And so that is another description, a previous description of this same person here that we get to. And, and, and so the angel has spent quite a bit of time in chapter 11 to itemize the various uh, kings and queens and princes and women that have, that have influenced this uh, lineage of this power structure, this power battle between uh, two of the divisions of the Greek empire. And that is the Syrian part as well as the Ptolemy part. And, uh, uh, the the northern area were were called the Seleucids and and Antiochus Epiphanes were uh, he was part of that uh, and so it says that he will uh, this is a continuation then when we find ourselves in verse twenty nine of uh, following this man's career he says he will uh, he will. Um, return and come into the south, but this last time will not turn out the way it did before. This is not going to be successful. Why? Because it says the ships of Katim will come against him. Therefore, he will be disheartened and will return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. Well, why he's enraged at the Holy Covenant, we're not quite sure, except this guy is so petulant that he uh, he, he can't help himself because he's so overdriven with his emotions and his uh, discouragement and his depression at losing by, to the ships of Katim. And the ships of Katim, by the way, the, uh, the New International Version translates that as Cyprus. But this is a Roman fleet uh, of ships, by the way. Uh, under the direction of uh, Gaius Papilius uh, Lanus. Uh, he drew, and the legend is that this fellow drew a circle around Antiochus Epiphanes in order to force him into a pledge of peace. Well, this is bound to uh, make a tyrant very, very angry to have been... Um, uh, uh, 
to have been defeated uh, so uh, dramatically by the Roman forces, and even though it's not itemized here as being Roman, and yet that's exactly the way it turned out to be. And so that means that he comes uh, in his anger and, ter- and turns his anger toward the Jewish people, toward the Holy Covenant. That's what that covenant is, is the covenant God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant that he made with David, the covenant that he made uh, so that the, the land would be the land of promise. And he would, and this fellow, Antiochus Epiphanes, would be enraged against the people of the covenant, and he will do anything he can to destroy the covenant or destroy the covenant's memory, even to the degree of... Uh, of uh, killing the high priest, and that was Onias III of Jerusalem in 172 B.C. He did other things during his career that shows his his um, his disrespect, his disregard, his outright hatred toward the Jewish people. He was one of the original and one of the most strongest anti-Semitic people because of what he did to them. Uh, he strictly enforced the Hellenization of Israel. That means he forced them to uh, learn Greek and speak Greek. Uh, He prohibited the reading of the Jewish scriptures. He looted the temple in 169 BC. He killed 80,000 Jewish people, including uh, the male children. He demolished the city walls of Jerusalem, all of that in 169 BC. And so he had complete disregard until, he says, he puts uh, the... uh, the regular sacrifice aside and puts in the abomination of desolation. And that includes polluting the temple with sacrificing a sow. He sacrificed a pig and he threw broth, blood of the pig, inside the temple and he put a statue of Zeus inside the Holy of Holies and then he replaced the name of Zeus with his own name there inside the Holy of Holies and that was December the 16th, 19th, uh, that is uh, 168 B.C. Well, we're going to be back and uh, talk about some more uh, right after this break. back. So we find here the abomination of desolation in which this uh, this king from Syria that was one of the divisions of the Greek Empire, uh, he now uh, has taken over the Holy of Holies and it put, he put an idol inside the Holy of Holies after desecrating uh, the temple with a sacrifice of a sow and um, 
And that is called the abomination of desolation for a good reason. And, and is totally different than uh, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the temple and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Destruction is one thing. Dismantling is one thing. Carrying away the implements is one thing. But when a person, especially a Gentile, comes in and desecrates the holy place, there are special words designed around that. And that's called the abomination of desolation. That's the whole reason why uh, the angel wanted to take this excursion into the Greek empire and its various divisions, and this one division in particular, in order to, to outline the uh, and anticipate this particular uh, king. And the, the uh, desecration he brought into the temple was so dramatic. Why was it important to focus attention upon this guy? guy's career because it is a reflection of something else and someone else who will do something very, very similar. And that, uh, that, uh, is brought about in, uh, earlier in the book of Daniel. And that is, uh, in chapter seven, it talks about the fourth beast. This isn't the third beast. This is the fourth beast in chapter seven. The fourth beast has a uh, has a uh, a little horn that comes out of of ten horns, and he will he will uh, d- um, uh, dismantle three horns, and he himself will replace them. That is his career, but it comes out of the Roman Empire, not the Greek Empire. But this fellow is toward the end of things, you might say, and. Uh, he will be given uh, um, uh, uh, for a time, times and a half a time in uh, chapter 7 and verse 25. And, uh, and he will uh, uh, take over and he will uh, dismantle, not dismantle the temple, but he will, he will desecrate the temple according to the prophecies that uh, we find revealed in Daniel chapter 9, because Daniel chapter 9 uh, flows through the entire uh, spectrum of, of the timetable, and, and in the end, uh, there is this person from the Roman Empire who will make a firm covenant. This is uh, chapter 9, verse 27, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a sacrifice, uh, that is, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So the the real point to uh, um, the angels, uh, Gabriel's revelation in chapter 9 is actually pointed toward this Roman ruler who takes over the Roman Empire, or at least what we now might know as the revived Roman Empire, uh, because it may not even be existent yet on earth, uh, and yet it might be existent and we just don't know about it. But this future uh, uh, ruler king over the revived Roman Empire will desecrate the temple. That was the point of Daniel chapter 9. So then this is the point of uh, 
uh, Daniel chapter uh, uh, chapter 11 is to get us to understand this fellow from Greece does something similar. So why is that important? So that we know that this Roman ruler, this revived Roman Empire ruler, and what he will do, he will desecrate the temple. This isn't about destruction. It's about uh, violation of uh of uh, with idolatry, and it's more than just simple idolatry. This is idolatry of himself. He puts himself as the uh, object of worship inside the holy of holies. That's the reason why it's called the abomination of desolation. It's only, according to the Bible, it's only going to happen twice in all of human history. And it has already happened once, and so we have the preview. That's the reason for the preview. That's the reason for this trailer (laughs) of this movie uh, to have been exhibited already because it's been prophesied to Daniel, and now it's been fulfilled. At least this paragraph and this personage has come on the scene, desecrated the temple, and so we have uh, an idea, we have a picture uh, in historical negative. Not, uh, narrative, not just prophetic narrative, we can look back into history and see what this guy did, and then we can anticipate what this future Roman ruler will one day do to the Holy of Holies. And so that's where we find ourselves. Well, um, and if you if you care to look into it, uh, you can look at uh, what Jesus himself said, what he predicted while he was still on earth. He quoted, uh, that is, he uh, referred to this whole idea in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. It says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation. So because Jesus referred to this phenomenon, then it is important for us to know what Jesus meant. If that's what he referred to as a future event in his own history while he was still here on this earth, he referred to it as something to anticipate, yet in the future of this Roman desecration of the temple, then then we should be paying attention, right? And and, uh, again, Mark records the same thing. It may have been another record of the same speech, or it may have been Mark's record of a different speech, uh, because it may be that Jesus gave some of the same speeches over and over again, especially the important ones. But uh, again, if it is the same speech, uh, it uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 14 says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be. What's interesting is both of the authors of Matthew and Mark, they both insert their own personal commentary right after Jesus gives this prediction about the abomination of desolation that appeared in Daniel the prophet. And uh, and that's what we find here. Uh, but this is referring to, uh, in Jesus' time, this is still referring to something in the past. But since it already has happened in Jesus' time in the past, then we know what to anticipate for the future. And uh, and so both of the authors give us his, their own commentary. In parenthesis, in our English translation, it says, let the reader understand. Matthew wants you to understand. He wants you to know why Jesus quoted from this verse out of Daniel, and uh, especially out of Daniel 9.27 and out of uh, Daniel 11. 
in verse uh, verse 31. And the reason why Jesus quoted that particular phenomenon is so that we could understand. And Matthew wants you to understand. Mark does the same thing. Now, they may have gotten some of their information uh, from the same sources, uh, but uh, what's interesting is Mark duplicates what Matthew has written, or it may have been the other way around. We don't know exactly, but it says, let the reader understand in Mark. So Mark wants you to know that, uh, that you should understand this. So this is not easy easy to understand, but it is important to understand. It is significant. Why? Because Jesus said it. That's the reason why. And if Jesus said it in such a fashion as to give two of the gospel authors the motivation to remind you, the reader, to say, you better understand this, then we better understand it. By how? How do we understand it? Well, you say, well, it's confusing. Well, it may be, but it still means we still have to go back to Daniel where it was first brought up. And then when it was first brought up, we conclude what it's going to be like yet in the future. So, verses 29 uh, through um, through 35 of chapter 11 is that uh, where... Um, the uh, the angel is uh, foretelling to uh, to Daniel this future event from one of the four divisions of the Greek Empire and that ruler that we now know from our historical narrative was Antiochus Epiphanes Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes and he desecrated the temple and that is something important so that we can understand Jesus's speech more clearly about his anti anticipation of the future Roman king, uh, the revived Roman empire. And uh, it it won't happen in Jesus' time. And in fact, uh, uh, Jesus also predicted that the temple and the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. And it was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. And so since it was destroyed in AD 70, then the desecration that Jesus predicted didn't actually take place. Now, there's been lots of uh, uh, hypotheses about uh, perhaps imposing uh, a fulfillment uh, upon uh, what uh, Titus and the armies of of uh, of Rome did when they when they did attack Jerusalem and destroyed the city and destroyed the temple and uh, and dismantled the whole thing completely uh, and there's some hints that uh, there was some a whole lot of violence and a whole lot of disrespect given to the uh, to the Jewish religion and to the Jewish people of course because they were attacking them and killing them and yet and yet, there was not this particular incident where the abomination of desolation was set up in the holy place uh, as it stood. Uh, instead, it was destroyed, not desecrated. And so that's the point, I believe, that's important to understand as we continue to evaluate not only uh, the character of Antiochus Epiphanes, he says, by smooth words he will turn godliness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. He tried to recruit fellow Jews, or he was himself wasn't a Jew, but he tried to recruit Jewish people to support him and those who were not faithful to the covenant of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, 
And he says, they will fall by the sword, by captivity and plunder. But not only will, will uh, these, but also they will be those who are not hypocrites. Uh, and, and those who are sincere, those are perhaps what what uh, the angel was referring to as the Maccabees. And we now know the Maccabean family uh, uh, threw off the uh, the chains, you might say, and rebuilt, uh, that is, reclaimed uh, uh, the inner holy of holies and, uh, and uh, rededicated it back to the Lord and back to uh, Yahweh and uh, uh, back to... Uh, exercising the priesthood in the temple. And uh, that was, uh, the father was named uh, Mattathias, and his uh, son that was the most famous was Judas in 166 BC. And he had brothers, Jonathan, uh, John Hyrcanus, uh, Aristobulus, uh, Alexander Janaeus, and uh, they all were a part of reclaiming this as the sons of Israel, the sons of Zion went against the sons of Greece and uh, that was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 13 and delivered them so some of the Jewish people were purified while the others uh, died in discipline because they had taken the side of this idolatrous, uh, vicious uh, uh, Gentile leader. But uh, these people uh, came to the surface, rededicated the temple on, uh, on December the 25th, 165 BC. And that's the reason for the celebration of Hanukkah was because of the re reclamation uh, of the Holy of Holies by the faithful Jewish remnant in the temple in which uh, Antiochus Epiphanes had desecrated. So we look forward to the next part of uh, uh, chapter 11 as we will uh, forestall the reading of verse 36 uh, through uh, the end of the chapter until the next episode. Thank you for listening. Father, thank you for these moments together. Thank you for the Word of God who give, uh, that, that gives us the insight that we need to understand Jesus' words, to know how they've been fulfilled in the past in order to anticipate how they can be revealed and, and fulfilled in the future. We just pray your humble, uh, we pray humbly for your guidance as your Holy Spirit can teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.